Hello listener, welcome to the Switch It podcast. We go again. The fourth test is almost upon us as England head back north with the aim of levelling up after their three-wicket win at Headingley kept the series alive. Australia, meanwhile, will be hoping for a trip to Coronation Street with a win or a draw enough to see them retain the Ashes. The players on both sides have had a bit of a break and England in particular must pray that the Manchester weather doesn't give them much more feet-up time. If the forecast doesn't improve, it may have to be basballs to the wall from the outset. And as a wise man once said, what could possibly go wrong with that? At which point, it's time to introduce today's Switch Sages, ESPN Crick Info UK editor Andrew Miller and associate editor Vish Ahantaraja. Uh, hello both, hope you're feeling fresh. Uh, Miller, you're back in the studio with us for the first time since you <laughs> went twang at the mention of Liam Dawson for Nash's uh, call-up. <laughs> yes, indeed. It, yeah, that, that was all a bit dramatic. So yeah, I've, I've had my back opened up and, uh, and resealed again, so I, I feel functional and a new titanium spine inserted and I'll be back off my full run uh, imminently. 100% fit for this one? Uh, 100%, yes. 100, 100%, maybe not 110%, but 100% <laughs> Good, good. Um, uh, Vish, there's been no rest for you uh, in this in this gap between tests as uh, we sent you off to cover the fairly dramatic denouement to the, the women's ashes. Yeah, yeah. I kind of I went to Bristol for the first ODI and then I was at the Aegeus Bowl for the second ODI and I thought, you know what, players are having a bit of downtime, go and cover the women's game, hopefully be a bit more sensible <laughs> and it has been anything. But so I feel like I've come out from one war zone into another and back to the original war zone. But... <laughs> No, it's um, very much looking forward to it. I, I feel like everyone's, certainly on the men's side, everyone's needed to calm down a bit. All the columns are a bit more considered and measured and there's no need to dial everything up. I think that gap between Lords and Edge, oh, sorry, Edgerton and Lords for first and second test, everyone went a bit do-lally. <laughs> I think they've learned from that. And everyone goes into Manchester a bit, just a bit calmer before the actual nonsense starts on Wednesday. Yeah, in fact, on on the subject of uh, ghost-written columns or otherwise, uh Stuart Broad made, uh, Stuart Broad made a, a startling admission, uh, Miller, uh, the weekend he, uh, he wrote, we, we say we're not a results-driven team and prefer to focus on the entertainment and the process, but we're all desperate to make it to all at Old Trafford. The mask is slipping here. They want to win. <laughs> I mean, about, about time too. I, mean, I, I, wrote, I wrote this after that Lord's defeat, that the worst thing that England were doing was blethering on about we're, we're an entertainment first team. No nonsense. Absolute nonsense. The whole point of this is win. If you win, people will be entertained by proxy, and the fact that they they go go in all guns blazing uh, means there's absolutely no doubt about it. You know, back back in the day, again, we've talked about England having winning sides in the past, and perhaps in 2013 uh, they were so focused on winning the alienated people. There's never any danger of this crew alienating anyone through the way they go about things. But they don't need to they don't need to trumpet it. They just need to focus on what they do, and when they do, I, I you know I. It seems a silly thing to say that two one down with two to go is the perfect place for this team to be, but it actually is. I could not think of a more perfect position for this team, this particular team, to think. Right, come on then, let's just go out and buzzball the hell out of it and um, <laughs> see where we end up. I mean, as you said, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> it's all there in front of them, um, and I'm sure more madness to come. Um, we start the week, though, with uh, breaking news. Uh, an England eleven announced two days out, a recall for James Anderson in Manchester. Um, Vish, he's got three wickets at 75 
in the series so far, but uh, backed by Stokes and Brendan McCullum to deliver on his home ground. The last month has been absurd for many things, and one of them is exactly what you've just said there, that they felt compelled to talk about Jimmy Anderson like that. <laughs> and even, even the phrase that you use on your own, you know, he's been brought back in, having been dropped for the last test. Bear in mind the conversation at the start was, right, Jimmy's got to play. How many Stuart Broad going to play, though? Mm. Now, Stuart Broad has been the main guy, and it's, yeah, it's a, remarkable, a remarkable turnaround. I thought it was really interesting, actually, when um, people were positing Anderson coming back in, the number of England fans on Twitter who were against the decision, because of that, you know, three wickets at 75, the number of people saying, oh, you know, he's finished. Like, he, he, looks, he looks off it. Bear in mind, what, six months ago, he was, you know, getting a tune out of flat pitches in Pakistan. So, uh, you know, something which we all decided was his kryptonite about five years ago, and he's proved us wrong. Um, Edgbaston was his kryptonite. He's well, ev evidently, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, but that was a bad pitch. Lords was a bad pitch as well. I think the... You know, ironically, Headingley would have suited him, but they absolutely picked the right team there. And I think he, not lucked out, but there was always going to be a degree of rotation. And it just so happened that Robinson was the man who had to come out because of a back spasm picked up in that game. Um, I think, though, you know, Miller just said that 2-1's the best place for this England team to be, as 2-0 down was the best place for this <laughs> England team to be. I think giving Anderson something to fight for is probably a good place for him to be because he's never really taken it for granted. But I think there was a point where... You know, he gets dropped in the West Indies and he almost thinks that he's not going to get the chance to fight back for his place. And then when it does happen, it happens at the start of the summer under a new coaching captain. And he kind of just seem, you know, slots back into where he was before, and, you know, and does very well for the rest of uh, 2022. I can't remember the last time Jimmy's been in this position where very clearly he's not a starter and that he's only been brought out back in because one of the starters is out. Um, I'd be fascinated to see what he's done. We'll hear about what he's done over the past week and see how that comes into play with this fourth test. It's interesting when you, um, you know, if you listen to Taylor Enders' podcast with Greg James and uh, Felix White, when he got dropped for, in between, the one they did in between the second and third test, he basically didn't show up for because he didn't really want to talk about it because he'd, he basically didn't want to be a drain on it. Then he comes in for the one after they went ahead and he talks about how much he actually wants to be there and you know he was with the team all through mm -hmm. uh, you know all through the five days bear in mind the game finished on day four um and the players were still a lot of the players were still together on that evening some of the players who lived in northern areas went home jimmy didn't go home jimmy stayed with the team so he still very much feels a part of it but i mean it's an incredible position for one of our greatest to be in and especially with what might be his last couple of tests for england well yeah you, you mentioned that i mean He's literally part of the furniture at Old Trafford, um, Miller. But talk of James Anderson's end doesn't settle any nerves going into a must-win match in a you know just series to end all hyped series. I don't know where to go with that. One. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's um. I mean, his... let me rephrase it: the end of James Anderson. <laughs> you basically you basically dug the grave, and you just want Miller to kick him in, don't you? <laughs> Well, well, Roller's not here, so... Yeah. Uh, well, let's face it, he turns thirty, turns 41, I said 30 immediately, 41, ridiculously 41 at the end of this month. So this is the last test he will play as a 40-year-old, which in itself is preposterous. Um, but, you know, the first test he played as a 40-year-old on this ground, he took three wickets in each innings to help England fight back from an innings defeat against South Africa. He was absolutely integral to the crushing of South Africa with an innings defeat. So, and that, again, was a, was a, was another moment where England's 
dialed back their their complete mayhem and just just settled their 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 concentrated focus into you know Stokes made a made a made a longer form hundred than perhaps uh, England have been producing more recently and um, they did the needful uh, and so you know I've absolutely no doubt that James Anderson as as Vish says will be completely up for the opportunity it's uh, it's a really interesting lineup actually with you know obviously Mark Wood bold absolute rockets and again this 10 day break is perfect for him I was sort of riffing on the fact that his battery was draining all the way through the uh, mm. through that test and then that rain delay on the on the on the penultimate day just just gave them a chance to build his levels back up and and again 10 days off for him just to, just to focus means that England have got a real X factor there but then the other three bowlers have got they've got, they've got Anderson Broad and and Wokes back in the harness and welcome back as the as the all conquering hero for English conditions as if England had had forgotten that you know even with even an era of of Anderson Broad uh, Chris Wokes is probably the the preeminent seamer in English conditions in the last five years so it's it's an it's an extraordinary you know what's 34 36 41 nearly uh, frontline seamers plus a 33 year old rocket bowler um, England have got probably their most experienced attack in history, surely. I can't think of an older average age that they'll ever ever have fielded for a frontline attack. And on the, on one hand you think that's a bad thing. On the other hand you think of maybe I know Australia in their in their final, final years of being utter world beaters around the two thousand seven World Cup or two thousand six, seven Ashes, say, when when it was um Warren and McGrath uh were were, you know, th- 40 and 36 or 37 maybe you know when you throw that amount of experience into this situation in the conditions that these guys know like the back of their hand and have thrived in for a decade and more um it feels like a feels like the right attack for the right moment uh, for what is clearly a must-win scenario for England yeah, I mean the, the the two W's, the the match winners in uh, in Headingley, um, Vish. I mean, we we always expected Wood to play a significant role in the series, but I mean, we, at the end of the last part, I think we kind of brought up Chris Wokes as a bit of an afterthought. But he's he's the wizard is is now uh, you know the, the man the England they're looking to for some magic. Yeah, I mean that's tedious as hell, that isn't it? <laughs> but um, but no, you're, you're right, you're right, and and even you know. Couldn't couldn't get in the team ahead of Josh Tung in uh, the start of June. Well, yeah, I mean, it was all you know. Miller said that it was almost like they just remembered about Chris Wokes, and um, you know, we thought he was going to play at Lords. Uh, and it's you know, there are plenty of reminders in that home dressing room about Chris Wokes because his name's on three of the boards. So, <laughs> um, yeah, in fact, but even in the you know, even in the Headingling test, he got outshone, didn't he? He he did brilliantly. All the wickets he took, it was sorry, six wickets across. Um, across both innings, all big players, Mitch Marsh twice. Um, a pretty unconvincing start to his second innings, but you know held it together and helped guide Mark Wood through it. I think he's in a fascinating position at the moment because given what's happened to Jimmy over the last month and what decision Jimmy might take at the end of the summer, you'd always thought that Wokes coming through was going to, at some stage, take over the mantle from Anderson, and maybe not for particularly long, but more in the way that side. Remember Ryan Sidebottom did that role for England, mm. where he basically came in and had about two years as England's main bowler, and they were basically able to build, you know, a, a more future-proofed attack around him. Um, and that's probably Wokes' role potentially going into next summer if he if he wants to, or if England decide to go that way altogether. But um, 
Yeah, he, he's been remarkable, really. I think he he also could do with the break. You know, he obviously played a lot more Red Bull cricket at the start of the summer for Warwickshire and then mm. moved into the T20 stuff. But he expended a lot of energy in that um, in that Headingley test, particularly in the second innings when he when he bowled a hell of a, hell of a lot from the rugby stand end. Um, but th- I suppose the interesting thing now will be how do Australia approach those two? And I think there's an understanding that as well as Wokes Bowl, perhaps they didn't target him, in, target him in the way they, they might have done. And a lot of that comes from, I suppose, some of their bigger hitters being out of nick. You know, Marnus looks lost, really, doesn't he? Steve Smith seems in this kind of halfway house between not indulging what England are doing and then indulging it too much mm. and getting out to Moan Alley. Um <laughs> And then they hit him in the air to, to mid off. That's the main thing. Well, no, no, he <laughs> scuffed him to mid wicket instead. Yeah, but so there's. Um, I, I think they'll feel that they can target. Although they should target them more going into Manchester. One of the things that emanated from Andrew McDonald's um, media after the third test was that they're going to have to need the tire wood out. And it was only until Miller mentioned it now, but that rain delay on mm. day three massively helped Wood because he, he did even his when he started in the second innings. He was at 89 rather than mm. 91, which appreciate on paper isn't a massive difference, but he was he was 91 and going up, and this was 89 and staying at 89. Um, so yeah, they'll have to find ways around that. But Wokes is all the more integral given we don't really know what Ben Stokes' bowling is going to be like. Now, mm. obviously, he's glad for the 10 days as well. And, you know, Matt Roller, our man on the deck in Manchester at the moment, um, sending us videos of him going through the motions with his bowling. So we'll see where that is because, yeah, England could be sport for options and I suppose that plays into the ball. If this Old Trafford pitch is rubbish and we hope it's not, they've got plenty for their uh, usual bounce barrage, haven't they? Um, is is Wood, you know, does he visibly deplete? Do you have to, to, to like do another chapter of the book? Do you have to feed him <laughs> sweets to like get the energy levels back up? Is that... That's basically it, yeah. He Although, does wear his heart on his sleeve, but does he wear, you know, also Yeah, his, well, uh, I imagine um, Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum don't has, have as much trouble getting hold of him on WhatsApp to finish chapters. Um, <laughs> I think he, yeah, I think he's he's pretty good with them. But yeah, I mean, like it's, I'm, you know, I'm glad they've picked him, you know, pick your best, team for right now but then you know your mind also wanders to the over where it's such a short turnaround that mm. maybe they'll need him you'd, you'd probably want him at the over wouldn't you because it's so far this season at least in the county championship it's carried quite well but I mean that's get through this game first yeah. before having to <laughs> yeah, let's not that. get too far ahead um although we're all thinking it but the other thing about the 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 11 um Miller Moeen Alley is is now rubber stamped at number three is this really just a sacrificial offering to get the best out of others in 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 their preferred positions in the order? I mean, it probably is, but at the same time, I mean, a lot of people have been saying on Twitter, but everyone is in agreement that if you had come into the fourth test of the Ashes and seen Moeen Ali batting at number three prior to the summer, you'd have thought, "What the hell's gone wrong?" And now this summer, it's happened, and you think, "Yeah, yeah, cool, that's quite, yeah, yeah, that makes sense." I mean, it's it, it's just absolutely barking, but it it, it does make sense. He he he's a buffer. He's he's a, he's a hype man. He's he's a, he's a man who stops Joe Root having to bat at bat at three, which, as we can clearly tell, makes a massive difference to his mental state and and feeling of needing to take the game on. He he's just able to settle into his role. It gets Harry Brook back to five, where he's caused all this mayhem over the winter and where he produced that that match winning seventy five at Headingley. It just it just provides. Buffer all the way down the order, even down to Johnny at seven. I mean, you know, he, number five looked too high for Bearstow 
uh, in this comeback period. I mean, you know, there's an awful lot to be said about Besto. It'd probably take an entire pod to get through the various worries and issues that that arise with where Besto is at after his horrible leg leg injury. But anything that prevents him having to front up at five and you know slot back into that position where you know back in 2016 he was he was the he was the wicket keeper who was scoring great runs and I think he always saw the gloves as a security blanket and able and enabled him to feel valued in in two roles so it probably balances that out and again with Wokes there at, at eight as well it, it, it gives England a, a real run into a long tail that um that is a real a really envious part of their of, of their setup, as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, he, he may he may just he may get out for five from 16 balls and think what what the hell what, what was all that about? But equally, he may just come in and lump a few and and get cracking and off you go. I mean, it, it really doesn't matter. This is the fundamental thing about what England have done with this whole Basball era. Essentially, it's like it's it's making a virtue of the fact that pre Basball. Numbers one to one to three were an absolute car crash anyway. So who who really cares what goes on up there? Yeah. It's like you know, you you, you will be twenty five for three in off oh, sixteen overs, say in the pre baseball era. So why not just say well whatever we get up top as a bonus, which funny enough, leads, leads us on to Zach Crawley, who actually quietly has been my man of the series. Uh, I, I would I would go so far as to say. Uh, for for exactly the same reason, <laughs> quietly. I mean, obviously, you know, Ben Stokes is more loudly the man of the series, but uh, <laughs> but you know the, the the quiet role, quiet dominance that he's had of Pat Cummins in particular, just just visible desire to go after Cummins, and and I think I think Mo's been making the point in in press today, just saying that uh, you know he 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 loves the ball coming onto him. The faster it is, the faster it goes off. He stands tall. He's willing to take on that drive, that first shot of the summer, for instance, and. And vital runs um, the other day because you know Brooke at three in particular and and I think I think well, Roots have got out to him ten eleven times now. Root really yep. doesn't much like Pat Gummins as, as, as a threat, uh, especially now that it seems England have he's shelved the notion of, of ramp, ramping him for six and he's back to tentatively pushing outside the line and nicking off. So anything that tires out Cummins in that first spell takes some lumps out of Australia's captain and senior bowler is an absolute godsend to England. And that's what Crawley has done incredibly well all series long, as far as I'm concerned. Well, um, was, and it, and it, it makes a difference. I was saying up to ask Fisher this because he's been writing a piece about uh, Zach Crawley <laughs> over the over the weekend. Um, I mean, it, it's surprisingly consistent from the man that, you know, has been uh, almost told not to be consistent. He, you know, he's, he's about moments. <laughs> Vibes. He's got. He has got a couple of single-figure scores, but uh, 33, 44, 48, 61. I think he's got the highest strike rate of uh, of batters on either side as well. Um, as Miller says, maybe not man of the series, but he's doing, <laughs> he's doing all right. <laughs> yeah, he, he is. He's doing. I want to say he's doing a lot better than I thought he'd do, but he's certainly not doing a lot better than they thought he'd do because this is the reason he's in the team is to make these kind of contributions and score his ones this quickly and do it against this attack. You know, mm. it gets mentioned a lot that 70-odd at Sydney in the in the previous um, Ashes tour when there was one shot in particular that he played that everyone a bit, went a bit doolally about and, and mainly everyone in the dressing room and the higher-ups at the ECB were like, God, this guy's we don't really do this to Australian fast bowlers, but this guy clearly does. And 
you know, there's a lot to be said about, you know, nepotism within the game. I think a lot of the anti-Crawley sentiment, not just because of his record, but because he was selected and persisted with and he was perceived to have, you know, powerful advocates in the media. Rob Key is obviously someone who is a confidant who's now high up at the ECB. Is his and dad. I, <laughs> yeah, maybe not quite. But, but, you, but, you know, his dad's on the, you know, top 25 um, Sunday Times rich list. There, there's all these things working together to create this narrative and dialogue on, on social media of all places because he's not there. Um, we, I think we legally obliged to mention it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I suppose drill it down. There's also a conversation to be had about county cricket here because he's seen as someone who shouldn't be playing county cricket because he gets into bad habits when he plays county cricket. And really, when you play test cricket, you play on predominantly flat pitches, the ball comes up nicely, the bowlers are a bit quicker, and he's a bit better. And so, for all your, you know, he, yeah, he does, does average similar-ish, you know, he's, it's a bit lower in test cricket, but the whole point is he averages first 30 in first-class cricket and he averages about 30-odd in test cricket, and it's much more impressive averaging 30-odd in test cricket because batters who average 45 in county cricket don't average 30 in test cricket. That was their logic anyway. And he's he's playing that part now. And it's not just it's not just Cummins, it's not just a strike rate, it's Stark as well. Mm. And I, I was I was getting this impression just because here of his um, you know, the media that he's done first at the start of the season with Kent, then throughout the summer, then at the um, you know, that comment in the BBC about not, not worrying about the average Joe and what they say because they've never played the game. Um, right down to his, you know, quite casual, oh, you know, maybe win the Lord's Test by I don't know, 150 <laughs> runs. I was really getting the impression that he was leaning into this villain arc. And I think there is a bit of that, but I think there's also a bit more of an understanding that like everyone talks about the Ashes as your defining series. This is his defining series. Because I don't know, it might be his last, you don't know. You never know if they have a change of heart. Um, and he seems to be thriving on that. You know, you don't, like a, a tentative bloke doesn't hit the first ball of a series for four. A tentative bloke isn't just coming up and punching people on the up and wicking, whipping them through mid-wicket when everyone around him in the slip cordon is telling him how rubbish he is, how lucky he is to be there. <laughs> Other people shrink and he doesn't really do that. And it genuinely has been quite impressive by him. And at the same time, you know, there'll be some, pe- some people who say, well, you know, if you give someone enough goes, they're going to get it right. Don't always get it right against Australia though, do they? And uh, we all know that the Ashes matter matters more than anything else. Um, so, I mean, that's an unexpected um, tick, I suppose. We, I mean, we are talking about Zach Crawley, but we're not talking about Zach Crawley in the way we're normally talking about him. Um, Vish did uh, touch on, on the Bairstow situation. Uh, England obviously have retained him, and, and I think we've said all along that that's what they would do. Um, ben Folks is out there somewhere, you know, gazing forlornly at... Uh, his coffin and, and wondering when the call might come again. His, his batting coffin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not, like, yes, yeah. no, 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 not suggesting he should do himself. I <laughs> <laughs> got really bleak for a do, moment. Do away there, with yeah. himself. Don't do that. Ben, you're going to play in India. Don't worry. Just wait a few months. Um, I mean, Bairstow is not having a great series, Bill, to put it bluntly. I think seven clear sort of missed chances and in a tight series that could be decisive. And, and the, the batting started well at Edgbaston. We all kind of thought after the stumping that, that Headingley uh, home ground, he was going to come out with the, uh, you know, the fire up him. There's still time, time to turn it around, but um, 
you know that's that's looking like a significant call through the series now um even more so than it did back it at is the start but of the then summer. the whole whole thing the whole Basball ethos is a significant call. This is the call that England have made. They have decided we are going this route. We are going to hunker down. We are not going to drop players uh, if they're out of form. We are going to back them to the hilt. And so as far as I'm concerned, the Bearstow situation is the flip side of the Crawley situation. It's like he's having a tough time, but England are rallying around him saying, you are not droppable. You are Johnny Bearstow, the, 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 the Baz god of 2022. <laughs> And right now, Zach Crawley is the keeper of the Baz flame, frankly. He's, he's the guy who is doing everything that England wants their players to be able to do. And he's doing it from, from right the first ball of the series and doing it every, every time he steps out. He's, he's leading the way and saying, look, this is, this is what we're trying to do, right, lads? You, 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 you see, this is, this is what we're trying to do. And the more that, more that England are willing to get around their players and support them, and it sounds like a cult, and we've all talked about a cult, and we know that cults generally end with... with, with fireworks and, and chaos and all the rest. But right this moment, there's no option, right? You can't just turf out Johnny Bairstow of all the players mid-series, mid-Baz series, and bring in Ben Folks. For all that Ben Folks has got innumerable merits, it, it is just not the way they've set themselves up this summer. And I can't see any... There was never any chance that Bairstow was going to get dropped. Um, there is a significant chance, clearly that he will be the weak link that causes England to lose the Ashes. And I'm sure he knows that as well, because, you know, it's self-evident. There was that, that horrible moment where, where Harry Brook went hurtling off for that catch, uh, short leg, paused, thinking the keeper must be coming for this, and Bess are just standing there going, oh, I don't know whether, whether to go for it. It's like, ooh, that's not a good look mm, from a, from a yeah. test keeper. You should have been hurtling for that and, and grabbing mm. it. It's, it seems self-evident that, as a wicketkeeper in particular, he just has not got the mobili mobility in that leg to be the man he needs to be. And it's affecting his batting. It's probably affecting everything else around him, which, you know, if England were going to make a change, they could have conceivably have made it on the on pure medical grounds and sort of said, look, Bairstow's leg is just not up to this. We are going to take bite the bullet. But they've decided, no, we're not going to bite the bullet. We back him to come good. It's like, it's a big call. But then this whole, this whole era has been a big call. And the big calls generally... You know, the, albeit they're, they're still behind in this series, the big calls since June 2022 have been the right calls. So I think it would have been it would have been um, throwing away everything they've worked for for the past what is it 14 months now to um, to say yeah off you go let's 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 change the way we do things and and, and open up open up the bubble and uh, let let the air in. Yeah, uh, it feels like, you know, when they had the opportunity to bring in folks when Oli Pope went down and didn't take it, that basically gave us, our, you know, the decision they were going to make coming into this fourth test. Um, and I think, you know, the, the whole, everything that they've done since the start of the 2022 summer has broadly been about risk assessment and they assessed the risk with Bearstow and thought it was one they were willing to take and we'll find out at the end of the series, maybe at the end of this week, whether it was costing the Ashes or not. But evidently they... They, I think they feel more after Headingley that they need to get around him a bit more. I think there was maybe a, a little bit of a sense that, right, home ground, um, especially that chase on the last day, like, oh, this mm. is Johnny written all over it. And he's had a bad, you know, just coming into those few days, he had a bad test. So I think that there's maybe a bit more of like, let maybe stepping back from perpetuating the angry Johnny stuff. I think in the way that they've talked about it recently, it's, you know, when he's got a point to prove, and it's not a point to prove 
in the group, it's a point to prove to everyone on the outside. And I think that's how they're, you know, maybe stoking the flame. Maybe not stoking the flames, but maybe stroking his hair. You know, just, <laughs> just a bit more softly, softly this time. Because, I mean, it really, you know, for, for all of them, this is, this is the most important week of their careers to date, probably. Is stroking a redhead like stoking the flames of fire? Um, <laughs> actually, I'm thinking about the Baz Flame here, the keeper of the Baz Flame. Is this like the official, uh, the song, the guy who does the song in the Australian team? And what does the keeper of the Baz Flame, what privileges does he have? Is I it saw it about- more as like the, you know, the Olympic tour. You know, people, <laughs> you know, it's handed over a different way you know, to someone else. Yeah, yeah. is there a physical uh, physical entity? Does he have, does he get to pick what goes on the boombox, you know, the tunes? It might uh, be a literal flame to all their cigars that they yeah. have at the end of, the end of wins, yeah. <laughs> I mean, who, Miller is who has a clue? I, 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 I have a hunch who goes on the dressing room, but I have no insight, so God knows. But uh, um, <laughs> so Travis was on the boombox this morning. Why does it always rain on me? I think that was... Uh, uh, Travis yeah. is, a, is a popular on the boombox, oh, yeah. yeah. God, I've just lost a lot of respect for... <laughs> What's wrong with Travis? What's right with Travis? Um, <laughs> wow, okay, fine. <laughs> no, I right. mean, uh, we've, I've, we've all got room in our lives, I'm sure, for some... Bedwetting early two thousands uh, indie, but that's not my flavour. That's fine, that's fine. I didn't know you're so anti landfill indie given how you dress, but all right. <laughs> um, moving on from Travis and and, uh, and uh, musical preferences, um, questionable or, other, or otherwise. There, there, I mean, there's a whole pot of subplots to to be stirring um, uh, throughout the series ahead of this test. Uh, and, and none bigger, none, no colder and more bubbling than Stuart Broad on 598 test wickets uh, and 17 dismissals of David Warner, too uh, shy away from equaling the all-time test match head-to-head bunny record held by, uh, I guess it's held by Glenn McGrath rather than Mike Atherton, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, at nine, 19 times uh, um, Pigeon got rid of Iron Mike. Um, I mean, as kind of Vish mentioned right at the top, we didn't really think we'd be talking about broad, um, playing f- four tests out of four and, you know, uh, depending on how things go, nailing himself on for, for a fifth at the Oval. And we obviously should have never betted against it at the same time, given Stuart Broad's record. I don't know. Um, it, it, it's, prepo- it's preposterous, but- <laughs> isn't it? I don't, I don't, I, I'm kicking myself. I don't know how how I allow, allow myself to think that Stuart Broad would not be England's most significant <laughs> bowler this summer. It, it, you know, he, he, he's the leading wicket-taker in the series. He's, he's, uh, England's, he's England's greatest Ashes performer since... Probably since Darren Goff, but Darren Goff never really won anything. So since both of them, frankly, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, th- those three, as far as I'm concerned, are head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of turning up series after series after series and and just giving it their all ben, and actually ben earning respect. Earning respect. I mean, Stokes. To be to be fair, Stokes missed, has missed a fair few, and he was obviously injured last time out. I mean, 2019 was was incredible, but. You know, broad, broad doesn't miss series. Broad does not miss series. I mean, the only series he missed was 2010 when he when he pulled a pulled a, a, mm. a, a stomach muscle. Um, but he's always been there through the through thin and thinner. Um, but you know, where Anderson's record does you know visibly pale against Australia. Not only the he hasn't he hasn't won since 2015, but his average is what 34 or something. Whereas Broad's Broad clearly was there in, in 2015. He was he was he was there taking eight for 15 when Anderson was missing the, missing that Trent Bridge test, and he's uh, he has carried England's attack against Australia. He's he, you know he's he's their their favoured 
villain, isn't he? I mean, he was thoroughly offended when Ollie <laughs> Robinson claimed number one villain Mansell earlier in the summer. And Robinson, I have to say, it's been a staggering disappointment. Uh, you know, I, I really thought, I thought he was going to be something special this summer. Just the, the way he was talking and he sounded like he, he was ready to put his money where his mouth was. And, and sadly, he hasn't. Whereas Broad was ready to accept that he wasn't in the first choice 11. And now he's going to be the only seaman to play in all five tests by the, by the looks of it, which is unbelievable. But he is, he's just a man who just loves this, relishes the Ashes contest like, like no one else in that dressing room. And um, all the more reason why, um, you know, trusting, uh, trusting the experience, as I mentioned earlier, the experience of this lineup, when, when Broad is one of, the, one of those experienced heads in an Ashes contest, it's it feels like an optimistic place for for this this England team to be. I mean, you know, sort of on the basis of how the series has gone, you wouldn't have expected England to leave out um, Broad here. Vish, I think it was Nasu Hussain at the end of the Headingley Test was saying, "Don't name your team two days out and, <laughs> and keep keep Australia guessing because there is a question over whether David Warner plays this test." Yeah. Um, Obviously, he now knows, uh, or Australia knows, that whoever uh, opens will be uh, lining up against Stuart Board again. Um, Warner's not had a bad series, but that, but that is a that is a significant sort of question mark because of the form uh, of Mitchell Marsh unexpectedly, yeah. and and a desire to get Cam Green back in the side. Um, I mean, it would be a shame for all of us if Australia dropped David Warner and <laughs> and denied Broad the chance to get him another four times in the series. But uh Yeah, yeah, I suppose yeah, from, from a very from an English perspective it would be a shame. You made the point when we we're coming down in the lift that um oh Warner might be six hundredth and then you corrected yourself and said oh actually it'd be five nine nine, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah the Warner conversation's interesting. And NASA's thing, uh, you know, NASA's point about not naming it two days before to that they're second guessing themselves. Actually, no, name it two days before. Tell him that there's a boogeyman in your closet <laughs> and that he's just waiting for him. Because then, you know, that ramps up the anxiety from their perspective. Um, yeah, it's... I genuinely think they'd be stupid to drop David Warner or try and, you know, squeeze in another all-rounder for the sake of it. I think I think one of the one of the best things England were able... Well, one of the many good things England were able to do in heading, at Headingley, it was the first time, I think, Australia really thought too far ahead in the game or certainly thought a bit too much about what England might do because actually you know the end England get to the fourth innings and it's straightforward there you know there's a number to get go and get that number and they comfortable and confident enough that even though three of the people who contributed hugely to that chase didn't do anything last summer because of the group they're in you know they felt Right, yeah, they, they, this is how they went about it. So we'll just, we'll just do the same, do the same thing. And Australia were quite sloppy. I thought, you know, some of the decisions that Pat Cummins made on that final day were, you know, it was a bit too in his own head. I don't think he bowled particularly well on that last day either. And it felt like the first time they weren't overawed by it, but I think they just got sucked in a little bit. And immediately afterwards, when there's talk about right, um, so Cameron Green could open, or Mitchell Mars could open, or we could, <laughs> you know, we could swap out Boland for for Cameron Green, forgetting they had Hazelwood, you know, who's obviously going to surely going to come back in. They we just seem Travis Head up there, who's done very well. At yeah, five, yeah. But. They just seemed all the conversations emanating from that group just seemed a little bit more confused, just unnecessarily confused. They are two one up, as Pat Cummins said in his press conference. You know, we are two one up. 
Um, and I think the you know the time off has helped them maybe just de-stress and just put a bit of distance behind them and maybe do what they did in 2019. You know, you lost a hell of a game, but go and smash them in the next one and you know reclaim the urn. Um, but yeah, I, I think dropping Warner would actually be too big a risk. I, I appreciate you need players to come in and, and perform, but it feels like we're too deep in this series of all series for a newcomer like Mitch Marsh absolutely has the vibe to come into this series and do well. Mark Woods and Chris Wokes, you know, the talents are coming in and do well. Moe Ali, who knows what planet Moe Ali's on, but, you know, <laughs> you know, he can, you know, he can he can fit in for a bit. But it feels like, you know, someone like Marcus Harris to come in and would he make a difference? Another left-hander at the top of the order for Broad to come around the wicket too? No, probably not. There still is that inherent fear with Warner and there still is that understanding that, you know, when he, gr- when he grinds it out, he can still grind it out effectively and I think there'd be they'd be stupid to drop him. I suppose on the flip side, they've never quite known what to do with all-rounders, have they? I, mean, I remember Watto, of course, back in the day, Watto <laughs> yes. suddenly, suddenly ends up opening. Actually did pretty well, to be fair. So yeah. there, there is, there is, the top of the order. There is that, there is that temptation. We've suddenly got two all-rounders. Oh, we need extra bowling. Cam Green, fancy it? I guess it's throw him up there. I mean, I don't know. It, it's, it seems utterly, utterly daft. I completely agree with you. I wouldn't drop Warner at all. He, he, he you know, he even briefly, um, what was it, Edgebasson, wasn't he? He got, he got away got 40 odd didn't he? and um he, you know even that yeah and even 660 that, at lords which yeah, uh, yeah, it sets set, it, it he is still perfectly capable of setting australia on the way you know it's, it's similar to england's problem it's like you know if, if your top three is not delivering it's like well just let them go i mean they're, they're all better than than warner for for cutting loose if if, if you feel like feel like you you've got nothing to lose uh, you know he could be dangerous and so i would not i would not sub him out at all well, I mean, it speaks to the two different managements um, involved in this, that Crawley and Warner's numbers in terms of runs and averages are broadly similar. And yet we're saying well, one's player of the series, and one, you know, one might, might not play the next two tests. <laughs> it's the, the, the baseball lens. Um, the, other, um, uh, the other likely uh, change that uh, Australia will make is... Uh, Intel from uh, our man Andrew Nasher McGlashan is that uh, Josh Hazelwood will likely slot back in for Scott Boland um, and Miller. I mean, not I'm sure you don't want to give the Australians any encouragement. Um, it's all about mental disintegration and keeping the the the, the basball bounce back on the road uh, until the Oval. But uh, Manchester record, England's Manchester record in the Ashes, as we were discussing earlier. Um, Australia re- retained the urn there four years ago, um, and England's last victory uh, in, a, in a test against Australia is quite some time back. Yeah, indeed. We've already mentioned both and once this pod. In 1981, <laughs> there's his berserk, non, non-looking, swatting off the eyebrows of Dennis Lilly um, in 1981. It's absolutely incre- incredible. But you know, you know, they, they didn't win in in 2019, and and you know. Dating, they drew in 2005, obviously, famously. And then before that, you're into the barren wastelands of the 90s when England never won anything until they get to the Oval with the final test. So it was, you know, when I was whirring through the memory banks, so, yeah, no, 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 it can't be then. It's got to be then. Um, I mean, you know, history's there to be changed, isn't it? I, I, again, on on that whole sense of history, I noticed um, Michael Vaughan talking about... Um, if England win this and bounce back, this series will be better than 2005. Which, again, looking at the history of the game, I, I actually respectfully disagree. I, I, I think this has been an absolutely compelling series. It's been thrilling to to be a part of and watch it and and, and get get carried away during. But 
it's not a patch of 2005. Um, the quality <laughs> has not been up there, as far as I'm concerned. It's been, it's been, it's been, it's been good, but um, intermittent. And the, and that sense of historical baggage of 18 years of getting battered. Uh, I mean, you know, we've got a, we've got two years of getting battered in the in the ashes down under, but it's not. It doesn't feel that long ago. England have not lost at home in, since 2001. So for Australia, if they go and win this, they, they might they might trumpet it as their greatest win ever. But as far as as far as England are concerned, no, we're not we're not close to 2005 in, in my opinion. I think it's engagement, really, isn't it? Like you 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 rock up and or you switch on your TV, and every day's play as you exhausted by the end of it but you're right the reason it has you exhausted the reason no team has really been able to get ahead and weirdly the reason we've seen no collapse is that one team hasn't truly dominated because both teams keep making mistakes mm. um now that i said that i wouldn't be surprised if we do see quite a comical collapse <laughs> at old trafford but um, exactly we'll see. you know it's also the, the, you know the, the bowling i mean mark wood's been outstanding and australia have done done the needful uh to to Derail England's basketballers, but you know we haven't had haven't had magical spin bowling from Shane Warne. We haven't had reverse swing in Excelsis. It's you know been two tests of dirty seam cross seam bounces into the middle of the pitch. I mean, you know yeah. it's been it's been compelling I think for we'll very be different about reasons that for, for many years to come. Um, and sadly, the, uh, the the forecast for for this test uh, suggests that you know all the two thousand five comparisons uh, will will uh, you know be uh, sort of washed away if if it's raining on Saturday and Sunday and Australia are sitting quite happily on you know. Baz Basball will make a result. We'll, we'll be all right. Well, you know, <laughs> ben, there was um, I can't remember where it was. It might have been New Zealand, but there was a, uh, there was a, um, a press conference that basically just descended into us the media acting like kids you know you both have kids and us the media being like oh you know what about what about in this what about this what about that and just throwing hypotheticals at ben stokes and one of them was you know would you would you declare an innings you know would you essentially not void an innings <laughs> Stuart broad's job would you, would you you know forfeit an innings um just to move the game along and he was like well yeah why not we might see that this week you know if if the weather is there yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't put it past these lunatics. Uh, well, Ben Stokes has kept promising to uh, to make moves. Uh, I think, as he put it, uh, yeah, we will be eagerly um, ready to lap it all up. I'm guessing uh, the women's ashes we touched on that concludes tomorrow in Taunton. Uh, unfortunately, that is that is uh, done and dusted, and, and Australia have retained uh, the. Um, the women's ashes after finally getting a win uh, um, at uh, uh, Southampton yesterday, despite Nat Silverbrunt's um, efforts. So we, we'll have a, an episode of Ladies Who Switch with Valkyrie and Ferdos. Uh, so keep an ear out for that. Um, otherwise, uh, we had finals there at the weekend, uh, chaps. And, and Somerset finally uh, tore off their bridesmaids' gear and, and burnt it. They did. I, I, I talked to Tom Abel on the on the eve of the, on the eve of finals day, and um, you know we'd we'd all we'd all done, been doing doing the rounds, speaking to various people from each of the four counties, and you could sense there was a just a little bit more angst in in his voice. As saying, we're desperate to win, and it, I, I kind of transcribed it at the time, thinking that, that that sounds a bit a bit needy, a bit ugh. But actually, what it turned out to be was utter desperation to do the utter needful to get over the line and stop 
being runners up. You know, they you know they did win the win win the fifty over in in two thousand nineteen, so they have won a trophy in in recent memory. But you know, their their championship record in in recent seasons is is just horrific. Just you know, so many times just setting the pace and then falling at the last hurdle, all the rest of it, and then runners up and semi finalists, and now finally champions. And you you obviously wrote the piece yesterday about. Uh, about the means with which they've done that. They've, they've taken 100, what, 151 of mm-hmm. 170 wickets across the entire Blast campaign and 15 wins of 17 or whatever it was. It's just absolutely preposterous numbers. No one has no one has won a T20 tournament with more conviction. You know, T20 is meant to be a, a little bit up in the air. You know, any team can win on the day, but not not when the Zyder boys are at it. They, they, they've, uh, you know, ben Green, and, ben Green and Matt Henry uh, vying for leading... Wicket taker, I think it was Henry snuck over the line with thirty-one to thirty. I think both of them individually extraordinary numbers that would have carried any one campaign. But the fact they're both doing it concurrently um, to set them on the way, and and you know, add to that their top order with Banton, who obviously has been there, hasn't quite come back in England colours, but is clearly an immense talent who will have another chance one day surely you know got the 50 over world cup which is probably the last hurrah of this great white ball generation then it's going to be over to the next lot and he'll certainly be in the mix for that one bunch as will will smead who, who's another coming coming kid and and tom kolak admore who you know arriving at number three and and you know providing that 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 injection of class after after moving moving down to taunton that that they needed and uh you know, in the end, it was Sean Dixon who carried them across. But the the threat of that top three has has been a real impetus uh, to their campaign all along. So it's it's been fantastic to to see them get over the line. I I, I grew up in Dorset, so I've always had a soft spot for Somerset. Uh, and yeah, I I must admit, I I was doubtful twice on on, on finals day. Two in, two invidious positions they were in, and um, they 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 crushed it in the end. They, they brought their combine harvester uh, <laughs> and they deserve their scrumpy. That will do for today uh, since uh, Vatushan has a train to catch. Let's hope it's not too grim up north as uh, England's comeback bandwagon gathers steam. We'll be back for more next week. Until then, my thanks to Miller and Vish. Please feel free to rate us in all the usual places and keep track of all the latest on ESPNCrickInfo.com. <laughs> <laughs>